There they are. Good morning. Uh, it's okay to have fun in church. I like how Charles said that. It's sad that we have to say that, but it's okay to have fun in church. In fact, we should. Uh, we should be the most happy, fun people on planet Earth. Uh, and so let's have fun studying God's Word together so we can go out and have fun on mission together, all right? Uh, so we're walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter by chapter, line by line, verse by verse. Uh, this morning we are in chapter 9, uh, and so we are going to have to cover all of chapter 9. Uh, and so I'm not going to, I, I, in the second service, I tend to get a little long-winded at this part, all right, before we get in. It's, I, don't, I don't know what it is. We've already done it once, uh, so I'm going to have to not. Um, but I do want to thank you. Uh, as Charles mentioned, we have an Afghan family coming in. And, and from time to time, there are things that happen in, in our world and happen around us where we just feel led. We get together as elders on Sunday morning, and sometimes things happen during the week, and, and we pray. And sometimes we just feel led to say, hey, whatever comes in financially today, we are going to give to this. Um, and, and several months ago, that's what we did when everything was happening in Afghanistan, and you guys generously gave over $20,000 that day. Uh, 10000 went to the church in Afghanistan, 10000 to to rehome a family here. So I would encourage you to, to get involved in, in that and participate in that, and I'm thankful for your generosity uh, for that. Uh, but let's jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, we're going to read just verses 19 through 27. I'll summarize the first 18 verses. That was supposed to happen last week, uh, but we had a snow Sunday, so now we're putting all of chapter 9 together. And so we're going to look quickly uh, at verses 1 through 18 in, in summary, but I'm going to read for us and we'll walk through verses 19 through 27. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jew, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, the moral law, the path of freedom that God lays down, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that I, by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that there is a, a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But as I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. God, thank you so much for your word and the time that we get to spend in it this morning together. God, I pray that you would just speak to us as we, as we look at, at your word and it's, it's challenging us and, uh, on this area of liberties in our faith and, and how we are to glorify you in every decision with everything that we have and everything that we do. And God, this week, you're challenging us on, uh, on doing that for the sake of people coming to know you. God, I believe this is a missing apologetic. This is a missing piece for your people today, a, a passion, a burden to not only live in our gospel, the gospel truth and live in our salvation and everything we are and everything we do and to see you and who we are in you as the filter and lens in which we see all other things, but also to long to live in a way that leads others to you. And so, God, this morning, would you convict us? Would you empower us? Would you encourage us? Would you challenge us in your word? And, God, may we sense your spirit in a fresh and a new. And for anybody who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that the gospel grabs hold of them, that you draw them unto yourself, that they would know you as Lord and Savior. And so, God, we give this time to you. And, of course, every time we gather together, I want to lift up the church, especially of our city, God, I know that many around our city are gathering to worship you, to proclaim your word. And so, God, we pray the same for them as we would pray for us. We pray that you would move in power. Build your church as only you can. And so, Lord, we pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. This morning, I, I, I'm going to ask you guys to think of a few things, to, to really kind of reflect, to think about some stuff in your life and, and, and your past and maybe your future. And I want you to participate, all right? I'm not going to ask you to say anything. 
You don't have to say amen. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to, you don't have to do any of that stuff. But I do want this to be interactive in the reality that you are going to think about some things. All right? And so I'm going to ask you some questions. I want you to think about them. All right? And, and so the first one that I want you to think about is, do you remember the time that you gave your life to Christ? Do you remember the time of your salvation? And, and, and if you're not a follower of Christ and you're here, you're watching online, I, I want to thank you for being here. I'm glad that you're here. My prayer for you, uh, and, and, and I just want to say unapologetically, I want you to know Jesus. And my prayer is that throughout this time together that we have, that we would talk about the gospel truth, we talk about salvation in Christ, we would talk about the freedom that we have in him, and the gospel will grab hold of you, and today you would place your faith in Jesus. And I'm glad that you're here, and I want you to, to lean in and to listen, because this is just as important of a message for you as it is for anybody who knows Jesus and has placed their faith in him. But if you have placed your faith in Jesus, I want you in this moment, participate, all right, I want you in this moment to think about the day Jesus saved you, to think about the day that Christ took you from spiritual death to spiritual life, to, to reflect when you realize that I am a sinner and I am in need of salvation and there is a God who saves and he saves me by his grace. There's a God who doesn't demand something that I cannot achieve for me to live up to an expectation that I cannot get up to. Listen, we cannot even live up to our own rules and expectations. We all set them. We expect other people around us to live up to our expectations, but we can't even live up to our own, let alone a perfect God. And God comes and lives perfectly for us, and he dies to pay for our sin and rebellion against him, and then rises so we can have new life in him, and we can be transformed in him, and know our future, and have hope in who we are in him. He allows us to know why we were made, where we belong, what we are here to do. Do you remember the day where you were set free in the gospel truth of Jesus Christ by his grace? Do you remember it? Do you remember, as we said last week, that you were set, when you were set free in Jesus from your past, from all your sin and all your shame, because Jesus came and died for your sin? Do you remember the day that Jesus set you free from your present anxieties and fears of what do I do and what do I achieve and where do I go and how do I define myself and how do I make myself and give myself worth and value that I long for? And because Jesus rose from the grave, you can have new life in him. And you can know your future so you're set free from worry about where am I going and what hope do I hang my hat on? Because Jesus promises a new heaven and a new earth. He is redeeming and making all things new. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are really, truly free from everything. Do you remember that day? And you might not articulate it in all of those ways, but do you remember the joy that you realized when you went from death to life, when you realized that your eternity was set as a child of God. I think far too often we forget that. And, and honestly, I feel like a lot of times, even when we talk about it, we just kind of go through the motions. Yeah, you know, I know you're a pastor and you got to kind of remind me I'm supposed to think about those kinds of things. But, but is it really going to affect us emotionally? Do we really get excited about that? Is there really a gospel truth we believe that really saved us, really changes us, really gives us a future and a hope and a reality that we can live in today? Is that true of our hearts? Do you remember the joy you had when you first realized and your soul felt its worth? that you knew why you were here. And, and listen, if all of that is true and it's really changing you, aren't you so glad that somebody took the time in your life to tell you the truth of a God who came to save? Man, I think about my parents. And man, I grew up in the church. My dad's a pastor of a large church. And, and a lot of it for me was tradition and legalism. And, but I, but I, I believed and but the gospel didn't really grab hold of me until later. But I think back at my mom and my dad constantly putting the gospel before me. And I'm so thankful that they did that because when I was most in need in my life, I knew one place that I had been trained to go. And God used some hardship in my life to bring me back to the reality of, of the gospel truth. And so I'm so thankful that my parents did that and others in my life, as I'll share in just a few minutes, 
But who was it in your life? So think about, remember the joy that came in your salvation. Secondly, I want you to think about and remember the person. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was a church. Maybe you can't even really remember. You went to a youth camp or something. A friend, a family member who told you about the good news of Jesus. I want you to think about those things. And maybe you're sitting here, and again, you're not a follower of Jesus. Wouldn't you desire that if somebody really believed that this was the good news that gave you life and freedom and everything that you were created for and longed for, that you're searching for in the world, don't you desire that if someone that knew you knew that, that they would love you enough to love you into that truth? Don't you want people around you to want what is best for you? And if they truly believed that this was a saving grace, wouldn't you want them to communicate that truth that you might know the Savior that you were created to know? Here's a third thing that I want you to think about. I want you to think for a minute, who then are the people in your life that you might regularly see, that you regularly come into contact with, a neighbor, a coworker, somebody at a coffee shop that you see regularly? a good friend, a family member, who are the people in your life that don't know Jesus? The way that we say it often around here is who are the people that are close to you but far from God? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of a person. I know that many of us, we have a lot of different people in our lives. We could think of a whole laundry list of people who don't know Jesus that we constantly are in interaction with. I want you to think of one. Because the reason for that is I I don't want you in your mind right now to have a crowd of people. I want you to see a face. I want you to see one soul. So think of someone in your life that is far from God but close to you. Get that person in your mind. Think of their name. Think of their face. Hold them there, whoever it may be. Now, these questions, these things might be a little bit hard for us to to wrestle with. But but I think if we can allow ourselves, and I want you to keep that name, keep that face in your mind the entirety of the time that we are worshiping together through God's word this morning. I want you to think of that person. Because I think this has the power. God's word obviously has the power to transform us, to to change us, to help us walk in freedom in every area of our lives, to to live for what counts and what matters most. And so as you think of that person's name, as you see that person's face, I want you to begin to ask yourself, do I have a sense of urgency out of the excitement that I have for my salvation in Christ, for the power of the Spirit to work through me in the lives of others, that that person might come to know Jesus? Is there an excitement in me for others to know what I have been shown in Christ? Is there an urgency in me for that person, that face, to know Jesus? And and I think these questions will actually radically change how we live if we would just wrestle with them this morning. And and so I I want you to really hone in. Because I know that when we start talking about, and I know everybody, if you've grown up in church, the word that's going on in your mind right now is evangelism. Great. I came on the Sunday. You're going to challenge me to go tell the gospel to my friends. Right, because it feels taboo to us in the culture that we live in. It feels weird to, to talk about Jesus. And so, here, listen, I'm not talking about walking up to people and just saying, hey, if you were to die tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven or if you would go to hell? Let me tell you how to go to heaven. Right, like I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being intentional with relationships that you have. Intentionally revealing the gospel in the way that you live and in the words that you speak. Because you remember the gospel and you live and dwell in the identity that you have in Christ. So you long for people around you to know Jesus. But I know that's kind of a taboo subject. There was a recent study that said over 50% of millennials who are followers of Christ, Christians, believe that it is not even important for a Christian today to share their faith. I know that we're really just busy And it's the tyranny of the urgent. Like all of us have so many things going on. There are thousands of what seem to be really good excuses to not think intentionally about the people around us that don't know Jesus and long for their soul to be saved in God. 
I feel them too. And so I'm just going to be honest with you this morning. I, I have wrestled this week with feeling this sense of urgency for people in my life that don't know Jesus to know Jesus. And I, and I reflected on my salvation. I reflected on the excitement that I felt when I came to faith in Christ. And I, I felt that life for the first time. And I, I remember when the gospel first grabbed hold of me when I was in college and, and some things happened in my life that, that God really used to just to have the gospel just grab hold of my life and everything at that moment. It was like everything, a light bulb went off. And I just, I wanted to be close to God. I wanted to know God. I wanted to experience God. I wanted everybody around me to experience what I was experiencing. It was just too good. It was too good. It was too life-giving for me to hold back. And, and at the time, I was working at a, at a hardware store. Just, it was a fun college job, just driving forklifts around all day. And, and let's just say the coworkers that I worked with were less than Jesus followers. And to that day, I really just, I didn't necessarily participate in everything that they were doing and saying, but, but I, I, wasn't, I wasn't kind of breaking into their lives. I wasn't caring for them in a way that I desired to once the gospel grabbed hold of me. And from that moment on, all I wanted was for those guys to know Jesus. I started praying for them every single day. I started being intentional with my conversations and what I would invite them to and how I would talk around them, what I would laugh about. And I didn't make them feel weird, and I didn't make our friendship feel all of a sudden like it was awkward and I was a Bible thumper. But I was just intentional in loving them and pointing them towards the truth. And I wanted them to know Jesus more than anything. And then I moved to Raleigh to go to seminary. And I remember, uh, and don't tell Beth Shaw this, but I, I worked as an after-school program director for several hundred kids, okay? And I don't want to volunteer in the kids' area, uh, and so don't tell her that. I don't know if I've ever told her that before. But suddenly, I wanted all of the counselors to know Jesus. Like, and I longed for that. I would pray for them every day. I would ask them about prayer requests that they would have. If, most of them were high school students, and so if they were followers of Jesus, I was pouring into them. I wanted to disciple them. I wanted to pastor those who worked for me. Those who didn't know Jesus, I was constantly looking for ways to share the gospel with them because I wanted them to know Christ and know what I knew. I remember going to work at a church after seminary in Orlando and and I lived right across the street from the University of Central Florida, the second largest university in the nation. People from all over the world. And so I would go over and I would, I would hang out at the coffee shops and just talk to different people. There was a specific hallway I remember so vividly where many of the Muslim students would go for prayer every day. And I would hang out on that hallway during prayer times and, and have conversations with the, with the Muslim community in our area. And, and I just, I wanted, I would go out on the lawn and just start ultimate Frisbee games so that whoever would come and play, I could just talk to and, and pray for. And, and, and again, I was just trying to be intentional. I wasn't trying to, to bring out a tract and walk them through all these things and, hey, we're going to do a Bible study before I'll give you my Frisbee. Like, I wasn't doing any of that. I was just, I was trying to be intentional in the places that God put me because I wanted people, and I understood at this university, there were going to be people, thousands and thousands of people going all over the world, and I just had four years with them. And, and I wanted to be as intentional as I possibly could be. And then we moved to Winston-Salem to, to plant Redemption Hill Church in our living room. And some others lived with me. And I found a website where I could find every single homeowner's name in Ardmore. And that's where we moved into. And I began to pray for everybody in Ardmore by name. And we went door to door to every single house and wanted to talk to people that we could talk to and invite them into what we, God was doing. And, and Matt and I, Matt Mears was with me and... We didn't know about any of the cool coffee shops in this area at the time, so we just went to the closest Starbucks, right? And we sat at the counter at first so we could get to know all the baristas, and then once we got to know all of them and they wanted to talk to us, then we moved to the community table. We started talking to people at the community table because here's the crazy thing about uh, coffee shops. If you go into a coffee shop almost every day, single day, you will start realizing you are seeing the same people every single day to the point where it gets really awkward not to talk to them, right? And so we started talking to people at this community table, and then the baristas, every time they would go on break, they would come over and talk to us to the point where we kind of got deemed like the church of this Starbucks, like we were kind of the sponsor church. Um, and I had not been there in two years and because of the pandemic and just life just going in different directions, which is part of what I'm talking about. 
And I went in a couple weeks ago, and there's only one guy who still works there from the time that we used to go in all the time. And he looked at me as I was walking out. He said, hey, your table is still being saved. Gosh, and it just reminded me. I almost cried in the first service. I'm not going to do it here. It just reminded me of what it means to live intentional. What it means to love people towards the truth, even if they don't believe. And many people came to faith in all of those areas of our lives, but it wasn't because anything I did or Matt did or any of the people who moved here with us to start the church. It was just that we loved Jesus and we wanted people to know Jesus. And wherever we were, we wanted to be intentional with that good news. And, and here's the honesty and just kind of my, my maybe repentance, confession, I don't know. The last couple of years, it's become more difficult for me to feel that urgency. And I don't know, maybe you feel the same. Culture is changing. The church has changed. And for me, it's been, a, it's been a hard reality of, man, how do we disciple a scattered people? And, and people are coming less and people are doing, and we probably have more people. We've tried to figure this out. More people coming to Redemption Hill Church than we've ever had before. But people are coming less and they're kind of scattered all over the place. And, and, and we're glad that people get to join in from home and we understand reasons why people need to do that. But, I mean, people are just all over the place. It's been very easy to just go, how do we disciple people and become very inwardly focused? How do we hold on to what we have? And maybe you felt that way too. Like you gave your life to Jesus. You were really excited about Jesus and you wanted everybody to know about this Savior who saved you by his grace. And it's too good to hold on to. But then life happened. Man, I got, I got busy. I got caught up in school and work and meetings. After all, there's money to be made. There's appointments to make. There's errands to run. There's kids that have sporting events that we need to attend. There's boxes to check off. There's hobbies to enjoy. There's vacations to plan. There's diapers to change. There's projects to complete. And honestly, let's just be honest. After two years of what we've been going through, we don't even know how to interact with people that aren't in our inner circles anymore. It's the strangest thing for me to go into a grocery store today, and I'm walking down an aisle, and first of all, when I see somebody coming the other way, I have PTSD of thinking, am I going the right way? Then it used to be that I would just automatically talk to them. Hey, how's it going? Good to see you. I would see something in their car. Is that good? I've heard that's good. Just try to start a conversation up. Now I've got this inner battle in my head of like, can I talk to you? Do, is, is what's most loving for me just to turn around and walk away from you right now and act like I never saw you? Right? So we don't really know how to interact with people anymore. And so it's really easy to lose perspective on what will matter, listen to me, 10,000 years from now, and living for that today. And so hear me, I'm not talking about adding anything to your plate. What I'm talking about is being intentional with what is on your plate. Living for what is, is best and what has the greatest purpose in everything that you do for the lasting reward. For the greatest joy, to be a revealer of the hope that you have in everything that you do. So my question for us to consider, and I don't think it's simple. I really think it's incredibly complex for us to consider. Are we doing what we can with what God has gifted and empowered us to do in the places he has ordained us to be for what matters most? That's really the question that we need to wrestle with as we look at this text so that the people around me, listen to me, the name and the face that you thought of a few moments ago, bring them back to mind so that that person would know Jesus. And to tie this into the last couple of weeks, what we've been seeing is, is, is asking these questions. Are we single-minded in our devotion before God? Are we pursuing him in everything? Is he the lens in which we see everything? Are we living out the truth that he's laid out for us to walk in freedom? Do we seek to reveal that freedom? to? Every, are we willing to reorient our lives to be about God's mission? To engage in the ways that he's calling us to, to be about his agenda, not just our own? Are we willing to leverage everything he has blessed us with for his glory? And this text really flows out of last week's text as we started this little mini-series on, on what does it look like to live out our Christian liberties? 
to lay things down for the sake of, of unity in the body, as we talked about last week, and we talked about matters of conscience and kind of the gray areas as we would define them. So I would encourage you, if you missed that, to go back and, talk, and listen to that. We know that God's word tells us certain things, and these are things that are closed-handed, we would say. We walk in them. They're our path to freedom. We believe them. There are closed-handed realities of theology and things that God calls us to, to walk in the freedom that he has, he has saved us into, to give us the identity that we were created to have in Christ. There's a lot of things that the Bible doesn't necessarily point out directly. And so we talked last week about our conscience and, and preferences and convictions and, and how we're at liberty at times to lay those down and to take those up because we don't want to be enslaved to even our freedoms. But we want to be completely free in Christ and have everything in him so that we can hold everything open-handed, even the freedoms that we have, our Christian liberties, to say if this is what reveals the gospel the best in this situation, I will lay down this liberty if this is what reveals the gospel the best way possible in this situation, I will take up this liberty. That's what we talked about last week. And this week, Paul's going, how do we use our Christian liberties for the sake of those who don't know Christ? What do we lay down and take up for people around us who need to know Jesus? Because we saw how maturity of conscience and the way that we grow in Christ and discipleship is in our understanding of truth, not displayed in how much we know, but in how much we love in the truth that we understand. And that radically affects the way that we live in community together. But it also radically affects the way that we seek to reveal the gospel to everybody around us. So, so that's what Paul's really pointing out. How do we use Christian liberties to see other people around us come to know Jesus? How are we so excited about Christ that everything that we do is seen through the lens of who we are in him and desiring to reveal him to other people and being willing to say, if I do not proclaim the gospel, woe is me. And everything that I do is to set up the gospel truth in a way that meets people where they are so that they can understand the truth of the gospel and place their faith in him and know him as Lord and Savior. So, so look with me. We'll quickly look at these first couple of verses, verses 1 through 18, and what Paul's saying here. He's, he's really just continuing the conversation that we started last week. So he's talking about being willing to lay down liberties and that he's free to do so. Now, he's not talking about governmental freedoms here. He's talking about Christian liberties. And we do know that Paul certainly used his governmental freedoms in different ways. He took them up and laid them down depending on what he felt like gave God the most glory in every situation. So sometimes he would say, hey, I'm a Roman. Don't touch me. And then other times he would not do that because it was most glorifying to God in that situation not to use the freedom that he had to proclaim his citizenship. But here he's talking about Christian liberty. He's saying, I'm willing to lay down my preferences. I'm willing to lay down the things that are open-handed. I want my conscience to grow in the holiness towards God so that I can unify with one another and, and be unified in Christ alone. And, uni and being unified in him doesn't mean uniformity in everything. And a lot of times the way that we go about building community is, is completely opposite of what the Bible tells us to. What we tend to do is I've got this preference, I've got this thing that I like, my conscience says this, and so I'm going to build community around that. And what it produces is disunity. What it produces is the people of God not looking like the people of God to the world around us and us not growing in Christ as we are called to in Christ. So what we're called to do in Scripture is to center community, the, the church, around Christ alone. And then we walk in truth and love together that we grow into the fullness of Christ, that our consciousness is being trained in the proper way. So we still have preferences and convictions. We can still hold those things. We're not to sin against our conscience. But we build community on Christ. That's the only way to have unity and diversity. It's the absolute only way to do that. And so Paul's laying this out and he's saying, okay, we need to lay everything down, our freedoms down, be willing to for the sake of people knowing Christ. That's a huge lesson for us. That in the gospel, we're no longer about self. We're set free from that. I don't have to achieve, I don't have to accomplish, I don't have to get everything I do achieve, everything I do accomplish, they're a blessing from God to use for his glory. And I'm free to hold everything I have, every relationship, every item, everything open-handed because I am who I am in him and that cannot be taken away. 
That can't be added to. So we're free from self to really listen, enjoy who we are. Because we're free to then walk in God, who God created us to be. And so he just said at the end of chapter 8, I want to do everything that I can not to cause a brother to stumble. And he was talking about, if you remember, in reference to eating meat that was offered to idols. And some of the church was saying, hey, we can just eat the meat. We're free to eat the meat. Other people in the church were saying, hey, we're, we shouldn't because it was offered to idols. And that might cause us to feel like we're worshiping false gods in our hearts. And Paul said it's not about the meat. It's not about eating or not eating. It's about who we are in Christ and loving one another in truth. So don't sin against your conscience, but, but let's train our consciences up. Let's walk together in truth. Let's be unified in Christ. And so here he's reminding us of that. He says, hey, I do have the right. I have the right to eat the meat or not eat the, uh, eat the meat. He says, I am an apostle of Christ, and I know. I know who I am in him. I know that he died for me. I know that he rose from the grave for me. I know that my identity is fully in him. I, I planted the church here in Corinth. He's like, you know who I am. So basically in those first couple of verses, he's going, hey, examine me. Because later in chapter 11, he's going to say, though Paul is not perfect and he's sinful just like we are sinful, he's pursuing to honor Christ in everything that he does. So he says, examine my life. And in chapter 11, he says, imitate me as I have imitated Christ. So he's going, hey, examine me. Do I practice what I preach is basically what he's saying. I think every single one of us needs to look in the mirror and ask that question. If I was examined by the people around me, who would they think that I am? How would they define me? Do I practice what I preach? Do I practice what I believe? And so he says in verse 4, I'm free to do all of the stuff that we talked about. I'm free to eat or to drink or to lay those things down because I'm free in Christ. Verse 5, I'm free and have the right to get married or not to get married. I'm free to do either one of those things because I'm free in Christ. And if I do one of those things, they're both a good gift and I use them to glorify God. Then he goes into this long excursion, and you're going to be really glad that we get to skip it this week and just summarize it, because he goes into this long explanation of why he's actually free to be paid by the church for being in ministry. But he's foregoing that. He's laying that freedom down for the sake of Corinth. And, and the reason, just really quickly, that he says that, because it's important for us to understand verse 19, is we talked about in week one or two, I think it was, like sophists that came into the city and they kind of practiced Greek rhetoric and philosophy and they would come in, they were teachers, and they would try to gain big crowds in the city to teach and to give new ideas to and to challenge and to build direction and put direction into the city. And so these sophists that would come in or preachers that would come in and try to build these big crowds, it was very influential in the city. And the influential people of the city would oftentimes want to host and to maybe even pay and to feed those who were gaining the biggest crowds so that they could have the influence of the sophist. And so a lot of times people would come in, similarly to Paul, and they would, they would proclaim a truth and they would get people to believe and they would move people in a direction. And then the influential people of the city would come along and say, hey, where are you staying? Why don't you just stay with us? By the way, we'll give you a little bit of a, a pay here and we'll feed you. And then what I want you to remember is, hey, since we're kind of like housing you and feeding you and paying you, uh, it would be really nice if when you're out there talking and building up your influence that you don't say anything negative about us. In fact, maybe you could say some good things about us. And here's really our agenda that we would love for you to work in. And Paul is saying, I, don't, I know how the culture works. I don't want to be in anybody's pocket. He says, I don't want to be obligated to anybody. He says, I'm free in Christ. I will only be obligated to Christ. So this is why he says in verse 19, I'm free from all of you so that I can be a servant for all of you. And if you're just reading that and you don't have all the background for that, you're going, what in the world are you talking about? You're free from all of you so you can be a slave to all of them. That makes absolutely no sense. But what Paul's actually saying is, I am free because uh, from, from anybody's opinion, from anybody paying me off, from anybody weighing into my life one way or the other because I am a slave only to Christ. And because I'm a slave only to Christ, I'm completely free from needing anything in the world. Therefore, I'm free to serve you, to teach you, to love you, to care for you in the way that you need to be taught, loved, and cared for. I'm serving you in the way that you need, but maybe not the way that you want. So Paul's saying, I have all of these rights, but I'm laying them down for you and for others to know Jesus. 
Because he goes, it's all about the gospel. It's all about the gospel. He says, woe to me in the first 18 verses for not sharing the truth. He doesn't want to be disqualified from the grace that he's received. He doesn't want to forget who he is in Jesus. He doesn't want to have the people in his life who don't know Christ fade away from his mind for the, for the tyranny of the urgent, the schedule that is full. He wants to be all about who he is in Jesus and other people knowing that. So he's willing to not do some things that he could do for the sake of the gospel. And he's willing to do some things that maybe he wouldn't ordinarily do for gospel influence. And I think gospel influence is a great word for us to kind of wrap our minds around. Are we doing everything that we're doing through the lens of how it affects us or through the lens of glorifying God and what others would see of who God is? Is every decision that we're made going through the lens of how does this influence people? Because listen, you are influencing people. Every single time you wake up in the morning, you leave your house, you are on a mission. The question is, am I on a mission for people to see that I find my life in the things of the world, whatever that might look like, or I'm on a mission for people to know that I have found my life in the Savior of all people and things? What mission are we on? What are we influencing people towards? In other words, Paul really does reorient his whole life, his thought. He trains his conscience not to ask what's best for me, but what's best for the name of God. Not to ask what's most comfortable in every situation, but must, what's most loving towards others, helping them see the love of Christ. And so he tells us, uh, again, be imitators of me as I imitate Jesus. This is what I'm seeking to do. I want every follower of Jesus to be a Christian, a little Christ, an example of who Christ is, to image him in everything that we do, to point to him and his salvation in everything we are and with everything that we have. Listen, that is why we're here. Like a lot of times people want to know, what's my purpose in life? And what am I supposed to do? And when am I going to see the cloud in the sky? When is God going to show up in my Cheerios and spell out a word for me to go and do what I'm supposed to be doing? And, and sometimes certainly God calls us to specific things, but he has saved you and then left you as a part of his people. He tells us in the Great Commission, he tells us in his prayer in John chapter 17, he leaves us here so that we can reveal who he is to those around us. It's why we're here. So we grow in him, we mobilize to be sent out on mission. And, and if you don't want to take Paul's word for that, then, then one of my favorite, favorite preachers, theologians of all time is Charles Spurgeon. He was no theological lightweight, right? He believed we should love the Lord our God with all of our mind, and he could put all of our minds to shame. But here's what he said. If my hearers aren't converted, I have wasted my time preaching. I would sooner bring one sinner to Jesus Christ than unpack all the mysteries of the divine word. For conversion is the thing that we all live for. And if you don't want to believe Paul or believe Charles Spurgeon, then just look at the life of Jesus who laid all of his rights and freedoms down to come and live just so we could know him. Gave his life just so we could be saved. That is why we are here. And so Paul says, as we kind of bring Look at the end of this text that we read this morning, starting in verse 20. It says, okay, because of all that, therefore, to the Jew, I became a Jew. And that statement right there, it's really interesting to me. Because Paul's going, to the Jew, I became a Jew. And I'm going, Paul, you are a Jew. Right? Like, how do you become something for somebody else when that is what you are? But here's what Paul's saying. He says, I can use that heritage when I need to. I can connect with other Jewish people. I can meet them where they are because I am Jewish to reveal the gospel to them. But listen to me, being Jewish doesn't define me. It's important. He's glad to be Jew. He embraces his heritage, his heritage. But he doesn't take pride, listen, to the extent of being defined first and foremost by being Jewish, but being a child of God. That is required for unity, as he was talking about last week. 
That's the difference between us seeing our differences as, as being beautiful in a way to grow in Christ and all of us imaging him or, or, or seeing ourselves and taking pride in who we are on earth and, and where we are from and what language we speak and the color of our skin and not being able to have unity with other people because we define ourselves first and foremost by that thing and not who Jesus is and who we are in him. So Paul's saying, I can live under the law as a Jew. I can embrace those things because I don't believe that those ceremonial laws save me. And I can participate in them without believing that and reveal to those who are participating in them, believing that that law will save them, that Jesus actually fulfilled that law for them. So for the sake of revealing the gospel truth of grace, I can live under the law without believing that it is what saves me. I'm free to do that. But then he says, so the Gentile became a Gentile. He's saying, I can display that I'm not under Jewish ceremonial law for salvation. Basically, he's going, I can eat the meat. And if I'm hanging out with Gentiles, and that's what would influence them the most, that's what would meet them where they are, that's how I can have the most influence in the gospel truth for them, then I'm free to take that liberty up so that I can reveal the joy of Christ to those who are eating the meat. He's going, I want to glorify him in all things at all times, wherever I am. And I will lay down anything I need to. I'll take up anything I need to that is an open-handed, preferential thing. He's not sinning. He's not going against who we are in God and our identity in him and the moral law that God lays out. But he is willing to do anything short of sin to see people come to know Jesus. And I want, to add, I want us to wrestle with that this morning. Is that where we are? That yes, I want to love God with all of my mind. I want to study him. I want to know. I want to grow in deep theological knowledge. But I want to love people, and I am willing to lay down anything but the close-handed truths to see people come to know Jesus. Are we willing to wrestle with that? Like, I know, I know how that hits our ears. It sounds crazy, but it also sounds a whole lot like what Paul's saying right here. It looks a whole like what Scripture's telling us to be about. So, so here's how I want to kind of wrap all of this up. I want you to think of that person again in your life. Think of that name. Think of that face. What are you willing to give up for that person to know Jesus? What are you willing to lay down for that person to know Jesus? What are you willing to learn? What are you willing to pursue that they can understand the grace of Jesus Christ and find saving knowledge of him? What are you willing to do to change? What, what preferences are we willing to lay down for unity amongst God people and for people to know? Listen, there, there's a question that kind of hits me every time that I look at stuff like this, and it's, and it's what am I willing to lay down? What preferences am I willing to hold open-handed so that people can know Christ? And, and, and listen, this church would not even look the way that this church looks if I was making every decision directionally for this church. Because we want here for as many people as possible to know Christ. There will come a time in every generation, and there will come a time for me when I have to ask the question, what am I willing to lay down so that the next generation can know Jesus? And this church doesn't die. And we don't just fade away with our traditions and our preferences and our convictions, but that we want people to know Jesus. Listen, we say that we want multicultural churches, and my question is, do we really? What are you willing to lay down for that? What are you willing to take up for that? What are we willing to learn for that? What are, how are we willing to love for that? We want everybody to know Christ. Do you want that person that you're imagining, that face that you see, to know Jesus? What are you willing to do that they might hear the gospel truth from you? And of course, you cannot save them. But what are you willing to do that they would know that you love Jesus more than anything and you want them to know Jesus more than anything? That's the mission we're on. And listen, sometimes that means that we give up our preferences in, in, in the body of Christ. Sometimes that means that we take up Christian liberties and lay down Christian liberties. But I want us to think a little bit deeper because sometimes it just means that we use and do things that God has given us and given us the ability to do, that we are free to use in other ways, 
to fill up our schedules and calendars to, for our own glory, for our own good, but we're free to lay down for the glory of God. And I want us to ask the question, what am I willing to give up? What am I willing to freely use for God's glory that I could use for something else? So yes, sometimes it's preferences and sometimes it's Christian liberties, but I remember in my life when I was in high school, I wanted more than anything, and you guys are going to laugh at me when I say this, but I wanted more than anything to play collegiate basketball. I was, I was decent. I'm not going to live the glory days of high school and say I was better than I was, but, but I was decent, okay? But I had an injury, and, and I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. I couldn't play basketball anymore, but my dream was to play a collegiate sport. I knew I probably wouldn't get to the, the professional level, but I wanted to play a collegiate sport, and golf was really the only game that I could play. I had two, a couple of years to get good enough to make a college team. And so I had an uphill battle, but I had two men in my life that were part of a church who kind of knew at the time that, that I was, I would say that I was a Christian, but I wasn't really walking with God. I wasn't excited about my faith. I wasn't living for him and anything. I just would have said that I was a Christian. They loved me and wanted to disciple me. And I found out later that they were praying for me every single day, that God's gospel truth would get a hold of me. And I would begin to live in the way that God has called me to. And they took me to a local golf course and they walked up to the counter and they gave both of their it's back when you could do this. Their credit cards to the, the, the counter, the man at the counter, and said, anything that this young man comes in to do, whether it's eating, playing golf, hitting golf balls, whatever it is, you put that, you charge us for that. And they meant it. They actually checked on me. If, I, if they got their credit card statements and I wasn't going every single day, they called me. And they checked on me and they continued to pray for me. And they wanted me to actually use it, and, and they wanted me to pursue. But here's what they were doing. They were meeting me where I was, but here's the reality. Golf was not the point. They were praying for me. They wanted me to know Jesus. They wanted to point to him and everything. So they met me where I was, and they came to me where I needed for them to come to me so that they could influence my life by giving up something they were free to use somewhere else but use for the glory of God so the 17-year-old could come to faith, could really begin to live out the gospel truth. And so they were free to use that money any way that they wanted to use it, but they were free to give it up to use it for the glory of God so that a young man could really see the gospel in action. See, Paul is saying, I'm saved by grace. I'm free in Christ. I'm here for the purpose and the joy of revealing him in everything that I do. And I will make any sacrifice necessary for people to know the forgiveness that I have received, the compassion, the love that I have in Christ. And he gives two examples. So here's how I'll close. He says, how do we, how do, we do this? And he gives two examples of how to live in this way. He says there's one example is racing, running, and one example is fighting. And the word that he uses there for race is very specific. He uses the word stadion. And the reason that he uses that is because in the Olympics, it was actually one of the, the main events. It was the main running event. It was about a, two, a little over 200-yard race where it was one race. Everybody raced. Only one person won and got the prize. That's why he's saying this the way that he says it. And the Isthmian Games were right outside of Corinth. It's believed that Paul probably was visiting Corinth at one point during the Isthmian Games, and they were second largest only to the Olympic Games. And so Paul's using something that they would be very aware of here, and he's saying, hey, we need to run life, run the race like we're running to win, like we're going to live for what is most important. We're going to focus on what matters 10,000 years from now, not just today. That's how we want to run, that we can get the reward, that we can receive the prize. And certainly the winner of the stadium will receive a prize, a little bit of financial uh, help, an olive leaf crown. They would receive honor throughout the city. Then the second thing he says is uh, uh, an example of fighting. And fighting was, was something that was also extremely popular. And it was brutal, kind of like life. It's like we're going to run the race to live for the victory. We're going to run like we're going to win. But we also know we're going to run like it's a fight. Because there are temptations and there's a thousand different things that feel like good excuses not to live for what matters 10,000 years from now, but just to live for comfort in this moment. And this is something that Paul uses throughout all of his writings. He's constantly referring to the Christian life as a race and a fight. 
all the way up until, you can trace it through all of his letters, all the way until 2 Timothy chapter 4, the last letter that he writes where he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith and the crown of righteousness is coming to me in all who have longed for his appearance. So how do we live in the way that God has called us to, to run the race well, to fight the temptation? Let me, let me kind of sum it up like this. How many of you remember, I know you do, and we're in the Olympics right now, winter, not the summer, but how many of you remember or know, hasn't been long enough for you to forget, Michael Phelps? Okay, we're all kind of aware of him. He's won more gold or more medals than anybody in Olympic history, 28 of them. I think that's almost like more than 75% of other countries have how, much, how many medals they've won in the summer games. So this guy's like, he is a decorated Olympian. Here's what he said he did to, to swim to win, to race to win. He said that he swam during his training 8,000 meters a week. At one point, he said that I swam every single day for 1,800 consecutive days without a break. That's almost five years without a single day off. In addition, he trained with weights three to four days a week. And his diet, get this, 12,000 calories a day. All right, this proves it's not about what you eat. You're just not swimming enough, all right? Like, that's the key ingredient to what you're missing. But the point is, this guy reoriented his entire life so that he could win gold medals. Paul says he reoriented his entire life so that he could win perishable medals. Now, they're good. There's nothing wrong with it. Pursue great things, win, achieve, accomplish, enjoy, work hard. But for what? Is the point the perishable thing or is the point to use all that God has gifted us to do for his glory that others might know him? Are we using everything that God has given us to to reveal him in intentional ways where we are? So he says, run in that way, fight in life in that way to, to overcome distraction and temptation. Because there is a reward and we want to run for that. So, so I'm going to close with this. Close your eyes. I want you to imagine, and this is a part of the participation, so just participate. The faster you participate, the faster I close. I want you to imagine winning a gold medal. Whatever event that is, whatever you dreamed of as a kid, you're winning the gold, you're on the podium. The anthem is playing. Thousands of people are cheering. And what a moment that would be to win a gold medal. Now with your eyes still closed, I want you to picture the face of that person that you've been thinking of throughout our entire time together. And I want you to picture the smile and joy that comes to their face when they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Here's my question. Which one is more valuable? Which one is worth living your life for? Which one is worth racing for? Which one is worth fighting for? Paul says, I don't want to be disqualified from the grace that I've received. That means I want to live my life out as though I have never forgotten or gotten over the gospel. He's not talking about losing salvation, but he wants to see transformed lives. One pastor and author said this, You can always tell how much God has impacted your life by how much you want to impact others' lives for Christ. You can always know how much love for Jesus is growing in you by how much your love for people who don't know Jesus is growing. Let's be a people who live for the greatest impact.